Hello and welcome to the False Nines. This is the 63rd episode of a bi-weekly footballing discussion. I am your host, Zach Pensack, alongside my good friend, Adam Goffin. Adam, how are we doing today? Uh, footy, Zach. Relegation footy. A broad term that applies to a lot of what we'll be talking about today. We had a six-pointer that ended in no goals on the weekend between Newcastle and West Brom. Uh, we had a relegation scrapper climb out, almost out of the bottom three. They're they're oh so close now. Um, and then we had another game that we'll be talking about with uh, Brighton, the, the fourth team that's kind of in this relegation conversation that we'll have today, almost getting a point and falling just short against Leicester. And a game that, in my opinion, Brighton probably should have won. So it's going to be a fun one today, Adam. We have a handful of uh, EPL matches to chat about, and then we will also be doing some armchair pundits 10 and 90. Before we get going, just want to remind you all you are currently listening to the False Nines. As I mentioned, we're part of the Coming Home Newcastle podcast network. If you ever want to subscribe and hear our uh, content on a regular basis, you can find us at Spotify, Apple Music, Google Play, anywhere else that you might find your podcasts. Uh, and then if you ever want to reach out and uh, converse with us, uh, check us out on Twitter at CHN underscore podcasts. Uh, we will uh, be open to any conversation topics that you want to have. Adam, you've also kind of restarted our, our Facebook page. How do people find the Facebook page? I haven't, haven't looked at a Facebook page in, in eons. I know that shows you the difference in age between us, Zach. So Facebook groups, Coming Home Newcastle is where you'll find us. We have about 4,200 followers on there, Zachary. So plenty of people who are looking out for the posts on there. Largely what you'll see is some interactive posts asking you your opinions on all things Newcastle. And you'll also see all of our great SB Nation Coming Home Newcastle articles published on there. Got some great new writers that have joined the team recently. So check it out. There's some, there's some good stuff on there, including an article. From yours truly on the man, the myth, the legend, Glenn Roder. Check it out, guys. Yeah. Adam, was that your first article that you've written? Uh, in my life, not just for coming home Newcastle, but probably the first article I've ever written in my 38 years on this planet. Wow. It was a really good article. So I'm glad you started out with, you know, with a, a, a very eloquent and well uh, composed piece to, to celebrate the life and times of the Newcastle legend, uh, Glenn Roder. But I need to, I need to write an article. I haven't written an article in a while. Uh, it's well, been a little while. There's not yeah. really a lot. There's not really a lot to talk about with Newcastle right now. Besides, you know, the dressing. Oh, so much to talk about. It's besides, a shit show. There's so much to talk about. You got to give me a second to to, to uncover the sarcasm okay. I was using. Oh, um, but yeah, besides the the locker room falling apart and a manager who can. So it is actually. I, I I will start with this. It is actually getting impressive how Steve Bruce can continue to get worse and worse as a manager of a football club, every time you think that he's, you know, hit complete rock bottom, he, he'll do something else that will just uncover that underbelly that he has in him. So I guess the, the row with Matt Ritchie was this new level of, you know, of, of kind of salacious nature that uh, Steve Bruce has. Yeah. I just want someone to throw a cabbage at him. That's that's really all I want right now. That 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 was the moment when he actually got fired from Aston Villa immediately in the aftermath of that game where he got a cabbage thrown at him. He was fired. So my logic is is if a Newcastle fan, I don't care if it's in the stadium or not, just someone if you're listening to this, throw a goddamn cabbage at Steve Bruce and hopefully he'll get fired. That's that's the goal. Uh so we'll we'll talk about West Brom 
Newcastle kind of towards the end of our section on EPL matches from this past weekend. Really not, not a ton to talk about for the game itself. There was almost <laughs> nothing that happened. Um, but uh, we'll, we'll start out here uh, with a trivia question. This is the is this the fourth installment of the trivia or third? third I believe fourth? it is. I believe you're two for three so far. So I'm going to try and mm-hmm. trip you up again. So we'll take you down to a 50-50 record here. Right, what are you thinking? Yeah. Yeah, that sounds good. Because I got Giggsy. I got Giggsy last time, and then the time before was uh, you missed on the hat trick. You missed on the hat trick from Mane. On Mane, and the first one was uh, was Gareth Barry. Um, (laughs) The yeah, the uh, the the most appearances in Premier League history. Okay, so trivia question for today, Adam. Yep. As a reminder for listeners, we'll give you an immediate question. We'll give you a clue halfway through the pod. We'll give you one last clue towards the end, and then we will reveal the answer. Zachary, the question for our listeners today and for you. Only one Premier League striker has scored five goals in a single half of play. Ooh. Who is that striker? That's crazy. Is it Robert Lewandowski? Probably not. Um, he League, has done that. He's never, because he's never played in the Premier League, I would say no, the answer is to that question. Nice. <laughs> okay, you got me there. Yeah, well, that, that is a good question. Um, we can we can kind of more clues. Yeah, I, have no, I have no idea. I have no idea who that is. Um, okay, all right, that's that's a good question. Cool. So we'll get back to that midway and through and and at the end of the podcast today. Uh, starting off, Adam, big big game of the weekend. One versus two, the eventual champions in the Premier League this season, Manchester City, going up against uh, hosting actually. Um, they're their friends from across the street, Manchester United. Um, what a game it was, and, and a game that ended in a way that probably not many people expected. It was 2-0 Manchester United, ending the Manchester City winning streak at 21 games. Still probably the most impressive winning streak in English football history. And this one started out quick. Stonewall penalty in the first minute. Gabriel Jesus coming through the back of Anthony Martial before Bruno Fernandes slotted away the penalty to make it 1-0. Manchester United, I this was, I mean, this isn't an audacious thing to say, but certainly the best match they've played this season. Uh, really kind of in control of that one, despite Manchester City having over 20 shots in the game. Yeah, it, it was a really interesting kind of setup, right? I mean, you think about it, like Manchester United, from an attacking standpoint, they have so much talent in there. But they've never realistically in the last few years tried to go toe-to-toe from an attacking standpoint with City. They've never tried to beat them off the park and I thought this was a great game plan from Ole Gunnar Solskjaer in terms of the way that he set up, right? He set up to be defensively really, really tight, not give too many chances or at least easy chances away near the box. Um, and I thought he did a really good job organizing the team. You could tell they were playing as a team, well-disciplined, um, looked really, really, really good on the day. And, uh, you know, if they could just figure out that consistency, Manchester United, obviously they got 15 wins and nine draws on the seasons. Turning some of those draws into wins could potentially be the difference in them catching Manchester City. Obviously, put paid to that 21-game winning streak. They will love that, given that it was a Manchester derby and stopping that record in its tracks. Um, and deservedly so. thought it was a great all-round performance from United. I was, yeah, I was very impressed by the organization and the energy that Manchester United showed in that game. Again, as I mentioned, they they did 
kind of come under a lot of fire in the match, but really held a very, very solid defensive line. And part of that defensive line, and, and perhaps the man of the match, was Luke Shaw, the eventual second goal scorer for Manchester United. Uh, I think it might, it might have been, it must be his first or second goal for the club. And first one in a number of years. Uh, but yeah, Shaw kind of marauding forward and, and getting a nicely tucked in finish into the bottom corner. I, I think that he was emblematic of what they were doing. It was a lot of energy going forward, but still keeping that kind of organization at the back. Daniel James, your your, your boy, had a, a couple of nice runs. He he didn't really, I, I, I wouldn't say he threatened the Manchester City defense a lot, but, you know, his pace on the break is, is kind of what makes him uh, a special player. And when Manchester City, or Manchester United, excuse me, is playing that 4-3-3-1 formation like they did, that, that's where you need to have that pace on the wings, right? Because you need to be supplying your your front man with that support, and um, it, it did work to perfection in this match. Yeah, that Dan James, obviously one of the fastest players, if not the fastest player in the Premier League, just got pace to burn for days. So great to see him starting for Manchester United, especially in a big game like this. Another player who was starting who um, – People that may be casual watchers may not have realized this, but David De Gea um, was not starting. Uh, he was back in Spain after um, the birth of his daughter on some paternity leave. He'll be out until after the international break. Dean Henderson came in and had a man-of-the-match performance, and that that certainly won't have hurt his stock, right? Um, I think you know we're, we're looking at the, the Euros coming up. Um, he's wanting to stake a claim for himself here. But I think if he can put in some good good performances now, um, then potentially he could stay in a little bit longer for for United. And there's been rumors today I've heard of um, David De Gea potentially on the radar of PSG as well as a long-term replacement at goalkeeper for them with Pochettino. Ooh, that would be interesting. That would be kind of a win-win, I think, especially Manchester United probably could get quite a large price on David De Gea's head. And that's why I think, and we've seen this at Newcastle at a much lower level, but that's why having a know a backup who who can cut the grain at that top level can be so beneficial both for having that cover and then you know if the if if you ultimately think that you're at a surplus of of that quality you can sell and get a nice return a little bit different at newcastle because we, we know that the return would not go into the the transfer kitty uh so we don't want to see anybody sold but uh nonetheless a really huge win for manchester united trying to solidify that spot in second and and getting themselves a Champions League football for next season. And a really crazy stat there on Manchester United. Three wins out of four in the last four seasons at the Etihad. They have really got Manchester City's number there. Um, kind of crazy to think about, right? That Man City are usually so impenetrable and Manchester United seem to always come into town and do the business recently. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When you live right across the street, it's you know, not not too hard to to stay in the town and and probably think of it as a home game, especially with COVID and no fans in the stadium. There, there's probably a mentality thing there of Manchester United saying, you know, we're we didn't have to go anywhere. We're not we're you know not playing away from home. We can kind of just be and go through our pre match routines in the normal way. So I don't know, yeah. maybe a mental thing. Yep, absolutely. All right, on to our our next match we'll cover here. Uh, actually, a game today, recording on Monday, um, Chelsea played at home against Everton and comfortably beat them 2-0. A James Rodriguez-less Everton um, were beaten at Stamford Bridge. And now um, the lead has been extended over Everton in the league to four points, albeit Everton having a game in 
hand. So fourth played fifth coming into this match. I'm running out of superlatives here about Thomas Tuchel and the job he's done since he's come in at Chelsea. I know Gus doesn't want to hear this one, but this man has come <laughs> in, Zach, and he's got nine clean sheets from 11. The only two teams to actually score on Chelsea's defense, believe it or not, are Sheffield United and Southampton. And they've taken 21 points from 27. They've also won away at Atletico Madrid, um, who are top of La Liga right now in the first leg of their UEFA Champions League place, uh, their their tie in that in that in that competition. I mean, what what can, what more can you say about Thomas Tuchel other than well done, sir? Great start. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, it, it is interesting to kind of think about you know how how devastating it was for Chelsea fans to lose Frank Lampard and how you know kind of eye rolling was going on when when Tuchel was being brought in, but it it seems to be this Roman Abramovich masterclass in the making. Uh, and I, I think in this game in particular, what was notable was the contributions from Kai Havertz, the uh, what was 75 pound million pound midfielder that came over from Bayer Leverkusen in the summer. And a lot of people saying he you know, isn't ready for the premier league, that, <laughs> that kind of timeless trope that, that we point out time and time again of, you know, not physically ready. He's not adjusted to being in England, and he he looked great in this match. He, I believe, had the shot that caused the first own goal in the match, and then uh, in the for the second goal, got drew the penalty uh, that that Chelsea dispatched away. So uh, again, there there are a lot of questions about what is the best way to create that Chelsea midfield, but Havertz is clearly making the push to to be one of the first names on the team sheet. Yeah, as, as well he should, right? I think he's a super talented player. Uh, in that game as well, he actually had a goal chalked off for handball from a, from a set piece as well. So certainly, I think, was was Chelsea's man of the match there. Everton, a little bit lackluster. That's nine losses on the season for them now. It's the same as Liverpool. Um, it's one more than Spurs, who sit just below them in the Premier League. Um, a little bit inconsistent there. Um, on, on the Everton front. Richarlison came into the game with four goals in four games. The first Brazilian ever to score four back-to-back in four back-to-back games. Don't worry, there's still 10 games of the season for Joe Linton to beat that record. And he's going to get plenty of minutes, that's for sure, over the next few weeks. Um, but no, Everton in general, just a little bit disappointing today. And you can see the difference that they in the, in the team when they don't have James Rodriguez in it. They're just missing that so- certain something that makes them tick. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think that Richarlison is a striker slash winger who very much so come. He, he kind of depends on that supply, and you need that that creative midfielder in order to make the the, the supply happen. So it wasn't a surprising result. I think Chelsea is the better team through and through, but it continues with this question of how good how good and what is the ceiling for Everton? Can they crack the top six? Can they get Europe fo- European football? And the questions remain. I, I don't. I don't think you can definitely say yes, especially after the uh, the victory that Spurs had on the weekend, and they're kind of pushing up, getting a little bit back into form themselves. Yeah, Spurs playing well. We're not going to cover them necessarily on this week's pod, but um, Spurs are starting to find their groove now. Three wins in a row in the Premier League. But to your point, Zach, I think from an Everton standpoint, you were pushing a few weeks ago that you thought they might finish top four. I think that'll be a little bit out of reach for them, if I'm honest, this season. But they're sixth in the league right now. They're three points ahead of Liverpool in eighth, and they have a game in hand on Liverpool as well, so they have a chance to stretch that lead even further. Personally, I think if they can get a Europa League spot this season and qualify for European 
football next year, that would be a massive, massive win oh, for yeah. Everton. And and obviously, I think that what they'd get in the summer as a result is, you know, going into a season competing in the Europa League, that your squad's going to be a little bit rotated and stretched, right? So I think that they'll give a little bit more money from an investment standpoint to Ancelotti. I'm surprised they didn't back him as much in the um, in the transfer window in January, just Josh King coming in. So I, I truly think that Everton need to qualify for Europe in order to push the further investment to keep that team kicking on under Ancelotti. Definitely. And a big, big name manager gets big name talent. And that's what we saw with James Rodriguez coming over. I don't think anybody in the world would have expected, you know, two, three years ago that Everton would be capturing a man of that kind of prolific nature. So mm-hmm. having Angelotti at the helm is, is a big sell when you have these players who, who want to be working under this kind of world-class tutelage that, that obviously Ancelotti has proven time and time again. So Everton, as you said, up to six in the table or, or staying at six in the table with that loss today. Uh, going a bit higher in the table, it was Leicester City staying in the top four, keeping it going. And this one was a bit of a nail biter. As I mentioned earlier, playing Brighton uh, at, at Brighton was at home. Or actually, no, it was, yeah, Brighton was it at was. home in this match. Yep. And, um, you know, Brighton getting the first goal in this one, it was a, a really nice piece of play with um, Adam Lallana kind of getting through the the middle of midfield and, and pushing forward behind uh, 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 Neil Mope. Neil Mope, thank you. Um, and and getting that first goal, but the Leicester kind of fighting, uh, you know, with with the the bare bones that they have to to get back in this one and, and get a two one victory. Yeah, exactly. You mentioned the bare bones. Just to put that into context, um, Leicester won this game without. James Madison, James Justin, Harvey Barnes, and Iose Perez all sitting out. So some really big impact players for Leicester there that weren't able to start. And they ground it out just like they always do, Zach. They, they, find, they find a way to win even when faced with adversity. So good, good on Leicester. It was a great point. Shocking goalkeeping error from Sanchez um, to let that, that goal kind of – or the ball slip through his hands and then fall – <laughs> down for Daniel Amarte to slot in a goal. I think the second in his 75 games Leicester career. So yeah, I think the one thing I'd say about Brighton is for as bad as their results have been recently, their play hasn't necessarily reflected it, right? They played Palace off the park a few weeks ago and um, looked really, really good in that game and then got like undone by an injury time winner from Christian Benteke, who's in, in pretty decent form right now, actually, come to think of it. Um, so I'm just thinking about Brighton as well, but they're not picking up points. It's not bad to watch. It's pretty good to watch. It's kind of like Norwich last season. Norwich played some decent football at times, but then defensively were susceptible to these lapses. I think Brighton's defense is actually a little bit better than the Norwich's was last season, but they're failing to get these goals across the line. Mope has has kind of flattered to deceive at times, I think, this season. So as good as Leicester were, I'm, I'm a little bit nervous for Brighton. Um, they'll be probably hoping for some results against teams around them if they want to stay up this season. Definitely. I, I agree with that. I think that, you know, points on the board, drop it, dropping one point uh, with three minutes to go in that game against Leicester is, is a heartbreaking one, especially, as you said, you know, due to a – such a simple error by Robert Sanchez, who actually had a fantastic game up until that exact moment. Mm-hmm. He had that one save on, I think it was uh, Iannaccio had a half volley that I don't know how Sanchez kept it out in, in the first half. But 
right. Uh, dropping points is dropping points. Two from 15, Brighton has collected. Um, game of the year for them right now is the game against Newcastle on March 20th in uh, just about two weeks. Um, and that, that worries me, to be honest with you, that, that we're getting Brighton in the form that they are. And they, weirdly enough, like you said, they, they've dropped points in, in all of their last three games. There are three losses in a row for Brighton. But I I would argue they were the better team out there against Leicester, uh, Leicester on the weekend. I, I think that they had a lot of energy going forward and uh, Lalana was, was playing fantastic. Probably should have had two goals in that match. So it, it is a little concerning to me, you know, going into that game against Newcastle, you'd have to think that they'll be up and ready for that one because they, they've been so close to getting the points that'll push them a little bit farther outside the relegation zone. Yeah, don't forget, Zach, they won 3-0 at St. James's Park earlier in the season. So you'd hope that Newcastle would be up for it. And you'd hope that Newcastle would, um, you know, have have the talent in their team to beat a Brighton side. But we'll get to Newcastle shortly. Really, really threadbare squad at Newcastle from an offensive standpoint right now. Um, and I, if I was a betting man, I'd be putting money on Brighton. They're somewhat of a bogey team for us as well. They um, are. Right. Absolutely they are. Yeah, they they seem to always beat us time after time. They're they're mm-hmm. like our they're they're our Manchester United at the Etihad at the moment. Um so we, we so snuck we'll, the championship we'll, off them. I don't know if you remember that. Like last day of the season we won the championship and leapfrogged oh, them to take, to take the championship. So it seems like ever since then they've had it out for us and like really raised their game when they play against Newcastle. Yeah, ever since the Modiame wonder goal, they've they've known what what power we possess so they've had to <laughs> they've had to kind of keep us off the board there um but yeah a, a big win for Leicester though again staying in the top three and uh pushing for for Champions League football again next season but Adam a team maybe in as much of a free fall as Newcastle United right now is Liverpool Football Club they are walking alone at the moment it's six goals or excuse me six games that they've lost now in a row at home. This one coming to Fulham, probably the, the worst case scenario for us Newcastle fans was Fulham going away against the reigning champions and getting three points. But that is exactly what happened. Fulham was out and ready for this one. And I I think I, I want to start it by kind of just give, tipping my cap to, to Scotty Parker and what he has done with that team because they are on the up right now, Adam. Fulham actually in the form table for the last five matches in the Premier League, third best team in the Premier League. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's not, it's not surprising me the way they're playing recently, they've looked super convincing. Um, And I've, and I've been really impressed with Scotty Parker and the way he's turned this around. They were written off five, six weeks ago. Everybody was like the bottom three is the bottom three. Fulham, West Brom, Sheffield United going down. And we kind of hoped and we hung our hat on it as Newcastle fans that that would be the case. Nope. Scotty Parker is not allowing that to happen, and they're playing some really, really good football. They were not out of their depth at Anfield whatsoever. They were competitive. Um, they ground. I loved how scrappy they were at times. They they really kind of looked like they wanted that win, and they believed that they could get it. And you made a great point to me um, over the weekend. You said that Newcastle went to West Brom to avoid defeat, and Fulham went to Liverpool, the champions, to win. And that's the mentality difference right now. That's the Fulham side that you're seeing on the field is they believe they can beat any team in the Premier League. Mm-hmm. And that that comes down to the manager. That comes down to a manager who can, you know, 
take take the player's eyes and take it off the the league table and saying it doesn't matter you know necessarily where we are what matters is how we play on the day and and taking advantage of a Liverpool side that seemingly is is having everything fall apart at the seam. So I, I guess I, I, I'm curious kind of what you would attribute that to from Liverpool. You know, they're, they're really, as I said, free-falling at the moment, seven points off a Champions League spot and a, a massive 22-point gap behind Manchester City, obviously. No one's expecting them to, to even come close to, to kind of reducing that, but – you know, what is it at Liverpool right now? We talked about this a few times recently. Um, I mean, personally, I, I think that it, it seems that Liverpool has nobody nobody who, who can stay on the pitch for 90 minutes. And um, I'm curious to see if, if you think that's the reason or if there's kind of a deeper issue at Anfield. It's an interesting one, right? When you think about it, we've we've been making the we've been talking about it for a few pods in a row now. I feel we've been talking about Liverpool and how defensively, you know, they've they've really been ruined this season with Van Dijk being out. But yes, that's true. When you look at the defense that started in this game, you had Reese Williams um, playing at the back alongside Nathaniel Phillips. You had Nico Williams that came in for Trent Alexander Arnold, and you had Andy Robertson on the left. So a pretty young and inexperienced defense. But they conceded one goal against Fulham. This is a team that cakewalked their way to the title last season. I'm starting to feel like defense is actually the lesser of the two problems. And the bigger problem for me is actually up top. They started, they, there were seven changes to the lineup for Liverpool in this game. Shakiri and Diogo Jota came in up front with um, Mo Salah. And it was it was just like a disjointed team that didn't know what to do. You think about the cohesion they had last season when you had Firmino and Mane and Salah, and they could read each other's minds, and they were always in the right place at the right time, and it was just this intricate, beautiful passing football, and they were scoring these beautiful goals. They look like a team of individuals out there right now that haven't got a clue how to play for each other, that haven't got a clue how to string passes together, especially going forward and up top. They had a decent midfield in that game. You had Milner that came back into the midfield. You had Nabi Keita and you had Jeannie Wijnaldum in that. That's a top-class midfield in any league, in any division in football. And then you've got that front line with a really a wealth of, of, um, of real talent up, up top there for them. And I just felt like it was so disjointed. And I don't – look how far we've come in a year. It's, it's, it's amazing to see their fall from grace at this point in the season. Definitely. I, it begs the question, you know, is is there an issue with just these players, as you kind of alluded to, they're just not knowing how to play with one another, you know, but players who are coming into the team who might not be practicing with the, the senior squad, uh, you know, time after time, every single day of the week, or just players who even when they're practicing together are not really, whether it be being put in the same scrimmage squads or are not working on the same drills with one another, but there is this, like you said, blatant kind of lack of cohesion that is taking place at Liverpool. I mean, I, I don't think a ton of the blame can be given to, to Klopp, and I think people are pretty quick to do that because you know of how how huge that fall from grace has been, and you always, as a football fan, kind of immediately will turn your head to the manager and saying, what what have you done? Like, have you lost the locker room? But I think that when, when you look at the team that they put out on uh, the weekend, you know, it's seven changes, and You'd probably say Salah and Wijnaldum are the only two players, and Robertson are the and only Robertson. are the only players on that team that were starting 
almost game after game last season. So I don't think yeah. it can be overstated how how bad it's been for Liverpool in terms of a personnel uh, just kind of shift of everybody going down with injuries. You know what though? Boohoo. You're a big team. You've got a big squad. You've just won the Premier League. I don't have any sympathy for them. I don't have any sympathy for Klopp either. I think Liverpool, when you look at their performance this season, it's been an utter failure. And to say that to say that Jurgen Klopp is devoid of any criticism at all, I think is is not true. I think you look at what he did in the January transfer window. They, we knew, and everybody in the world knew that they needed to strengthen defensively. What did they do? They signed some 500,000 no-name defender from a lower league team, and they brought in an unproven guy called Kabak um, to come in who's 20 years old. What the heck is Klopp expecting from a defense like that? He's already got young, inexperienced defenders, and then he brings in another one and expect that, that to be the golden ticket. I just don't. I just don't see it, to be honest. But I don't think you can necessarily blame that on the manager. Like, do you know that he's the one calling the shots with the transfer budget? Because if not, then it's tough to lay the blame fully at his doorstep. I, I don't think he's devoid of any blame, but I think that anybody calling for Klopp's head is out of their fucking mind. Like, Jurgen Klopp is clearly the right manager for Liverpool, and they would be absolutely like it would, it would be a Rafa Benitez level idiocracy if they let him go. Because, you know, he, this is a man that gave you – he is – Jurgen Klopp is the most important person at that club right now. Of any player, of any staff member, Jurgen Klopp came in and gave you the title that you've been waiting for. So I, I agree. I, I think, you know, these are fit players. These are top-class players. They're playing for Liverpool for a reason. So they, they should be able to beat – you know, they, they should be able to beat or at very least draw a team sitting in the relegation zone. But I think for anybody to say that Jurgen Klopp's – should be on the hot seat at, at Liverpool is absolutely completely out of their mind. Well, what would what would it take for Jurgen Klopp, a Jurgen Klopp, to be on the hot seat? Then what would it take for his job to be in jeopardy? Right, six wins or six losses in a row at home. How is that not putting his job under jeopardy? He should be like, under what, scrutiny what you, for that. But it's but being under scrutiny and saying you should fire the guy is two completely different things, isn't it? Because. Like, uh, what what would it take? It, it would take a, a season with, you know, not, it doesn't have to be every single player stays healthy. That's pretty unrealistic. But it would take a season next year with, for the most part, a healthy and functional squad, and Liverpool doesn't make the Champions League. That would be maybe something where you'd say, it, has he lost the team? But, you know, when, when you're, when you're a, a manager who's reaching into your U23 and reaching into your academy players week after week as if it's this kind of mystery box grab bag, like, there's, there's a ceiling at what you can do. Yeah, I, I'd say you still shouldn't lose six games in a row at home, but it, firing a manager right now would be – it would be a, an appalling decision. Listen, I'm not saying – that they should fire him. I want to. I want to make that perfectly clear. I I do agree with you that Jurgen Klopp seems to be the right person for Liverpool. He's proven that obviously he can do it. He's won the Champions League. He's won the Premier League. He's a top class manager. But something is wrong at that club right now, and placing the blame firmly at the door of the players is not fair. There are young, inexperienced players who are not really ready to shoulder the blame of that. Nico Williams. I'm a Welshman. Nico Williams is the future of Wales at right back. And he had a shocker of a game in this one. He got caught out of position a multitude of times. But the guy's 19 years old. What do you expect? He's inexperienced. He doesn't have a lot of experience in Premier League. He's been sitting behind Trent Alexander-Arnold in the pecking order. Jurgen Klopp 
needs to be bringing those players up together. He needs to be adding a little bit of confidence in them because they look like a team completely devoid of it right now. And a player like Klopp with his winning mentality needs to be transferring that onto the, especially the younger players in the team. And he needs to figure out his attack. Playing Shakiri alongside Jota and, and Mo Salah, Shakiri isn't a Liverpool player. Come on. Shakiri would be a starter at Newcastle. He's not a Liverpool player. That guy, that guy is not top class. He is not Champions League quality. For me, it, it just smacked of desperation, Zach. That's all yep. I say. I mean, it's it's showing you what happens when you when you have to keep going down into the well time after time, and when perhaps you you don't have the players on hand that that are willing to kind of sit on the bench for a season or so and then get their chance. You know, Shakiri is a a, a player that you know was in his prime maybe five six years ago and and is is fine kind of being at Liverpool because he understands that he's kind of coming towards the the latter part of his career but you, you need those players who are willing to come out and fight for it and I think you're right that was something that we didn't see on the weekend was a team that was willing to fight for kind of getting off the uh, off the spin that Liverpool has been on so can agree on that there there has to be something that that kind of changes for Liverpool for them to make the top four and and hopefully get Champions League football again next year, assuming that they don't win the Champions League. Yep, and I definitely don't see that happening. All right, you ready to do it? Our last game of the weekend? Yeah, how quick can we make this one? Talking about West Brom and Newcastle, the marquee matchup of the the wee hours of Sunday morning. Well, let's let's make let's make the recap of the game here pretty quick and let's go into the fallout from it. Uh, West Brom nil, Newcastle nil, pretty boring game, not a lot to talk about. We played for a point against the worst defense in the Premier League. Two dinosaur managers giving us the exact game we expected. 126 years shared between them, and not in one time have they ever tried to play attractive football in those 126 years. And that is exactly what we got. A boring, terrible game that I woke up for at 5 a.m. Mountain Time on a Sunday. Um, Still questioning my life choices at this point. But here we are. There was a point out of it from Newcastle. Some people might see that as a positive. The other part you take from this is that um, Fulham obviously won at Anfield, so they clawed back two points on us. And we now sit in 16th place on 27 points, having played 27 games. Uh, Goal difference of minus 17. Brighton in 17th place played the same amount of games on 27. They've 26 points, so a point behind Newcastle with a nine-goal superior goal difference at minus eight. And then Fulham in 18th. On 28 games, so they've played one more, and they have 26 points, same as Brighton, but a slightly worse goal difference on minus 11. But they are clearly the form team of those three. So I think it's fair to say when we look at the bottom five teams right now, Burnley might get clawed back into it, but I doubt it. They'll they'll find a way to come through. They always do. So it's essentially Sheffield United and West Brom relegated. And then it's one of Newcastle, Brighton, or Fulham to take that 18th spot. Zach, the floor is yours. Tell us your thoughts. You, you give me a lot to, to talk about there. Uh, not really much, again, like you said, to, to talk about with the match. I, I think the one really frustrating point for me was, yes, we, we know that Newcastle is without Callum Wilson, without Alan St. Maximin, without Miggy Almiron. Uh, nonetheless, though, right off the bat, you're, you're seeing a team that, as you said, was set up to go for a nil-nil draw. I think that um, what really, really kind of has boiled my blood so far this season is the way in which Steve Bruce has seemingly pushed both Longstaff brothers, Sean and 
Maddie out of this team. Maddie Longstaff playing with the U23 team today uh, on Monday. So has not only been kept out of that match, but completely almost demoted down a level to, to play with the U23s. And it, it really does become baffling at a point when you, clearly the midfield that you're playing with is not working, right? Uh, Joe Willick may be the only player on the Newcastle team right now to, to be showing any sort of positive glimpses. Uh, did have a, a kind of a, a bad miss in, in the last match before this one. But I, I think that, again, why is Jeff Hendrick anywhere near that starting lineup? Uh, John Joe Shelby, don't really need to dig into that one because it seems like a foregone conclusion now that no matter how poorly he plays, he will be starting game after game. But put in a young player, a, a player from the area who wants to, to kind of prove himself after signing a two-year extension. Matty Longstaff is probably screaming at himself every night for signing this extension for Newcastle because he can't get a minute in the team. And Steve Bruce is the one to blame for that. Like, what, what do you have to lose here? As we said, he went away to the worst defense in the Premier League and played for a nil-nil defeat. And I think that just sums up Newcastle as a whole right now is we're a club and a team that is afraid of you know, making the one mistake to lose the game. And so consequently, we're we're picking up the one point after another and praying that Fulham, the third best team in the Premier League in the last five matches, won't keep up the form that they are playing at. And I think it's it's a complete recipe for disaster. The free fall continues for Newcastle and uh, somehow Steve Bruce will not lose the job day after day. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more on the Maddie Longstaff situation. I think we look at Jeff Hendrick. Maybe the reason that Jeff Hendrick is in the side, Zach, is because he's our top scorer out of the four players that we have injured right now. Take those people out of the lineup, and Hendrick's got two. Joe Litton's got one. <laughs> Fraser has none. Um, Andy Carroll has one. Gale has one. So they, they want Hendo on the team for his goals. That's That's got to be what it is, right? Oh, my goodness. Uh, Jeff Hendrick couldn't hit a barn, the the what is it, the the broadside of a barn right now with a football. <laughs> he couldn't hit a cow's arse with a banjo. There it is. That's what that's what I like to hear. But yeah, it it is frustrating, and you know you can in, in the same sense that we don't want to put all the blame to uh, the players and give Liverpool an excuse right now. I think the same has to be said about Newcastle. You know, we, we've had all these injuries, but you're still going up against the worst defense in the Premier League. You're still a team who needs to be up for it. And even if we're not scoring goals, Newcastle doesn't look up for it. We don't look up for a relegation battle at the moment. And it's the lack of any sort of cohesion. It's a lack of this kind of team identity. And again, it all comes down to the man at the top. Yep, exactly. I read a quote that when he was asked about why he didn't play Gale or Carroll in the team is because he didn't want to disrupt the formation, didn't want to disrupt the, um, the this type of way that they want to play. You know what? Screw you, Steve Bruce. Play for three points. Play to try and win the game. Don't play this, you know, <laughs> this new high press diamond formation every single game without fail. Change your tactics up based on the team that you were playing. We didn't need to play that game, nor do we have the players without the with the injuries that we have to play that high press game. It was just so disappointing to watch. You know what, though, Zach? I pray we've got two games before the international break, and I'm looking at Fop Mob right now, and I'm seeing the injuries, and it says Alan St. Maximin, Callum Wilson, Fabian Schar, Miggy Almiron, all of them expected back early April, 2021. Please, God, we get those four players back and we can string a couple of results together, even if they're against better teams, because we have beaten better teams this season. We've beaten Everton twice. 
So we're, we're certainly capable of doing that. Um, but, you know, until until they're back, I feel like we could have played like three or four more games with that team that we had out on on Saturday, on Sunday morning, and we probably still wouldn't have scored another three or four games. I think I think we could have played most of the teams in the championship, and we wouldn't have won. You know, like it was a team that was never set out to win a game, and that we've repeated it over and over now. They were they were play they were put out to to get one point and nothing more and nothing less, and that's what they got. So. Well done, Steve Bruce. If you think that you're you're if you're very pleased with the result, getting getting a point against West Brom, then I guess that's what you're aiming for is, is getting one point against the teams below you. Yep. So I'll, I'll I'll end with this. Friday we're playing against Aston Villa at home. I hate Villa. I hope we smash them. We won't though. Um, we're playing the evening game in England, and we've got these four injuries, right? We've got Saint Maximin, we've got uh, Wilson, we've got Cher, and we've got Almiron all out. Listen to this injury list for Villa. Anwar El-Ghazi, doubtful. Um, Bertrand Traore, Traore, doubtful. Jack Grealish, shin injury, doubtful. Um, Hauser, I don't know who that is, but he's doubtful too. Matty Cash, um, out with a hamstring until mid-March 2021. Um, Morgan Sanson, French international, doubtful, out. And then Wesley, out until late March 2021. There's probably four or five starters in there that's out for Villa, but I guarantee you they take it to us and put us to the sword of St. James's Park. <laughs> it'll look the same as it did against Sheffield United. That's what I predict for Friday. We'll be going up against a team that has no place pressuring, uh, putting on pressure, and they will absolutely dominate the entire match. So I guess until then, we'll have to wait and see uh, what goes down on Friday. I personally don't think it's going to be anything good. We're going up against a team that's better than the team that we couldn't score against. So uh, that's that's pretty much it for me. We have the exact same five-game record as Aston Villa do right now. Five points from 15, one win, two draws in the last five Premier League games. So, I mean, they're not in great form right now. I just I just don't see where the goals are coming from until we get some players back, Zach. Start Matty Longstaff. Start Matty Longstaff. That, like, I, I think that that is the key to the game because he every time he's played this year, he's looked bright and immediately he gets benched again. I, 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 I like, I truly do not understand what's going on. I really don't get what's going on unless Steve Bruce thinks that he's the mole and will never play him again because Bruce's ego is bigger than anything else in the entire world. Um, oh God. Let's not get into, let's not get into the mole thing. Oh God. <laughs> okay. So, so let's close it out before our commercial break here, Adam. Um, Newcastle, we, we don't need to, we don't need to go into that too much. We we know that the lads at CHN Radio will will give you every single inch of everything Newcastle United. So I'll just spout my my hearsay for what a manager of a Premier League club should do when his club isn't playing well. But what is the first clue for the trivia before we uh, take a quick ad spot break? All right, I got to calm down a little bit. I felt a little bit emotional there between Jurgen Klopp and Oof. Newcastle. The the emotions were flying there. So okay, EPL trivia. Whew. Only one EPL striker has scored five goals in a single EPL half of play. Your first clue, Zach, is this game ended in a 9-1 victory for the goal scorer's team, and it occurred in November 2009. Ooh. 9-1 victory. Okay. Any, right. any, any immediate thoughts? Obviously, don't tell, tell our listeners yet, but do you have anybody that's coming to the top of your mind here? No, no, nobody. There's okay. a game I think it might be, but it, all right. Now I'll have to wait for the third clue. I'm still very far away from from what it might be. All right. Well, thankfully, luckily for you, we have one more clue to come towards the end of the pod. <laughs> 
Thank goodness. Okay, quick break. We'll be right back to wrap it up with Armchair Pundits 10 and 90 and the final clue and answer for the trivia question. So stay locked. All right, we are back from that commercial break. We've Adam and I have both cooled off from our from our little tiff about Jurgen Klopp. Uh, so we're, we've taken a couple breaths. We've composed ourselves and ready to, to close this out one today. Adam, uh, Armchair Pundits, coming up next is our next section. Again, to folks who may not remember Armchair Pundits, where Adam and I give and defend some sort of controversial or fiery statement. Uh, Adam, let's have you go today for Armchair Pundits, because I need to take a breather from my last rant about Newcastle before we go into this. All right, sounds good. All right, my one's a very simple one, and we alluded to it earlier on in the pod. Dean Henderson will be Manchester United's regular starter at goalkeeper by the end of the season. And he will open the Euros for England as their number one. I love it. Anything anti, uh, anti-Jordan anti Pickford, I'm here for. So, so give me the reasons why. <laughs> All right. Uh, David Gea, we mentioned back in Spain on paternity leave until the international break. Here's a stat for you. In his last nine appearances for Manchester United, Dean Henderson has eight clean sheets. Phenomenal statistic there from a, from a team that earlier on the season were, were not performing as well. He put in a man of the match performance against Manchester City. One of the things we didn't talk about was it was his quick thinking and distribution that got Rashford away to set up Luke Shaw for the goal. Um, so he's not just a danger in terms of his ability to stop goals, but he's creating goals for Manchester United as well, which is great to see. In, in the interim, while De Gea is out, he's got two Europa League fixtures, a Premier League fixture, and a game at Leicester in the FA Cup to show his stuff. And then coming back towards the beginning of April, it's going to be a really interesting dilemma for Solskjaer. Um, There's rumors, as I mentioned, of PSG's interest in De Gea. Lots of people saying that De Gea should go. He's on massive wages. He's a lot older. They were also saying that he was the first goalkeeper to start in a Manchester derby since Edwin van der Sar did that wasn't named David De Gea. Um, so it's been quite some time since David wow. De Gea didn't start the Manchester wow. Derby. That's so, wild. Yeah. May- maybe the time is right for them to make that transition. He's 23. He's the future at England goalkeeper. Dean Henderson for Manchester United England. Yeah, I like that. I mean, Manchester United, you know, credit to them for for having these kind of these iconic goalkeeper after goalkeeper, um, you know, going back in the day, it was, it was Schmeichel and Van der Sar. You know, it was an incredible servant for that club. Uh, Bartez. That, Remember Bartez? Bartez. That's, wow. That's, that's a deeper cut. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, and now David De Gea obviously has done so much for, for that club himself. And I think, yeah, maybe, maybe the time is right. I like that, Adam. I think that would, that would be a good shout and probably probably fine with De Gea as well, especially with how well PSG is playing at the moment. Um, you know, maybe have a run at that that Champions League that has eluded him. Yep. Yeah, good call. I think it would probably be a mutually beneficial move. And I heard that David De Gea is on 375,000 British pounds per week at Manchester United. So I'm sure they would like to get him off the wage bill there. Yeah, Henderson is nowhere near that. So yeah, that would be good. To keep the same quality or round out for for a lot less would be be a savvy move, a mm-hmm. savvy move in Manchester. Yeah. Save right. a little bit of the wage wage salary there, so they can uh, can bring in some other big name players for big salary. So exactly, cool. No, that was good. Um, okay, is is a I'm I'm coming in hot today, Adam, because you know when when you hear 
Newcastle United fans talk right now. A big, a big, big, big talking point, especially with how well Fulham is doing, is man, final game of the season, Newcastle against Fulham. That's going to be it. Like that's going to be. We're we're not going to be outside, you know, the the three point gap by then. Um, Adam, I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you one here. I'm going to give you a fiery one. My armchair punditry for today is that the final game of the season will not matter for Newcastle because we will already be relegated by death. So negative. You should have just gone straight into it from the last commercial break and just gone straight to get the Newcastle stuff out I of the way. I needed a breather. I needed a breather, Adam. Uh, but I, it's not going to be a long-winded rant here. I just, I, I just have a very, very big pit in my stomach right now when it comes to Newcastle. And I think part of it is that over the last month or so, when you know, besides the Southampton match, um, we, we were hitting this pretty tough uh, run of form. Uh, and we were, we were looking at March and saying, okay, well, as long as we can get to March and, and stay out of the relegation zone, we have this really nice run of fixtures of West Brom, a Brighton, a Villa, or West Brom, Villa, Brighton in that order. As long as we can get there, we can, we can pick up the points. And now we're without our three best players. You, you would probably see it, say at least our three best outfield players in Wilson, St. Maximin, and Almiron. We looked completely toothless against West Brom. Is the worst the the worst of those three teams that, that we were really looking forward to. Um, Villa coming up. Brighton that we we've just talked about how they are showing some fight and I'm just worried that w- once they come back it might be a hole that is a bit too deep to dig ourselves out of you know Fulham and West Brom both above us right now in the five match form table as I mentioned F- Brighton was looking far more organized than Newcastle on the weekend probably should have gotten at least a point against Leicester and the biggest concern ultimately comes down to the fact that it appears through reports coming out of uh, the Chronicle that Steve Bruce will be keeping his job until the end of the season, regardless of the results, regardless of how bad it gets. He's taken only five points, Adam, from a possible 15 against the four teams currently below us in the table. I'll say that again. The teams, four teams below us in the table, possible 15 points. We've played five matches against them, and he's taken five points. A win against West Brom back in the fall a draw against Fulham and a draw against West Brom again this spring, just this past weekend. So my question is, how can we expect to win any games against any other teams in the table if we are taking a third of the available points against the teams below us? And for that reason, I just don't see this free fall ending. And I think that with Fulham coming up on a, a few easier matches, having just beaten Liverpool, having found their vein of form, I think that there's a very, very legitimate and realistic possibility that the final week of the season comes and there's nothing to play for for Newcastle. I mean, it's an, it's entirely possible. I hate the take, but I also love the take at the same time. I, I said this to you already. I think Fulham now are in the driver's seat to be to be safe. I truly think it's actually between Newcastle and Brighton in terms of who is the last team to go down here. Uh, I was reading... Today, um, 5.38, Greg and Elijah, shout out for turning me on to 5.38. It's a great site. If you haven't checked it out, you should. A lot of predictions about, um, and, and I guess, data and formulas about how, how the season will pan out. They have us, for the first time now, finishing in 18th. And they have us finishing on 37 points, the same as Fulham, in 17th. 
and going down on goal difference. And there's a 41% chance that we get relegated at this point. And, you know, the way we're playing, you can see it happening. I have more optimism for the games later in the season against better teams when we have our better players back than I do for these next two games against Aston Villa and Brighton. Brighton have a massive game this weekend, Zach. Massive. They're playing Southampton away. That probably doesn't mean anything to you. But what that is is a South Coast derby. Oh, I know. I know what a South Coast derby is. Please, right. Adam. I've, I've watched right. enough European football to know a derby when I see it. <laughs> well, it's going to be a massive game. That Those two teams don't like each other. Southampton on 33 points. They get one more win up to 36. I think that's them all but safe. So they have everything to play for there. Um, quite a fall from grace from Southampton, but they'll be fine. That's kind of what they do. They go on winning streaks and losing streaks. But I truly think it's between Brighton and Newcastle right now. So that game against them coming up at Brighton is going to be a huge one at the Amex. Yeah, we will see what happens. I, I think that where we are when those four players come back, how, how far the, how big the gap might be if we are in the relegation zone is going to be huge. So uh, we'll, we'll have to see what happens. But yeah, didn't want to be too negative, but not too positive. So why, why fake it, Adam? <laughs> Sounds good. Sounds good. All right, moving on. Let us get to 10 in 90, Zach. I'm going to give you the op- option first or second this week. I'll go first. I feel like you've okay. been going first recently. So, so okay. I'll, I'll set this one off. Um, okay. So keeping on, I, I guess, a, a Newcastle getting relegated theme. Not uh-huh. not a consistent theme throughout the five questions, but the first question does pertain to that. So question number one for, for my uh, 10 in 90 this evening if Newcastle does get relegated, who do you think the first player to leave will be? Alan St. Maxman. Okay. Yeah. He'll I be the most in, he'll be the most in demand. And I think, you know, there's no way he playing the championship, nor should he. Yeah. Who I'm now I, I agree, and I think that that's probably the most obvious answer. I'm curious though, who would you say if if three players were to leave, who do you think they would be? I think the three players that are out injured right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're, yeah, okay. Almiron, St. Maximin, and Wilson. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. They, they deserve okay. to be playing in a higher league than than the championship. So, cool. All the yeah. best for them. Uh, okay. Uh, question number two: Will Manchester United win a title in the next five years? Mm, that's a good question. Next five years. Not as long as Ole is the manager, and I don't think he's going anywhere. So I'm going to say no. Oh, interesting. That's a bold thing to say on the back of the win on the weekend that Ole is is part of the problem. Can't can't. What have you done for me lately? Right? Can't keep consistent. Isn't a top manager still. Um, starting to put his own stamp on it a little bit. Not sold. Look at the difference between Lampard and Tuchel. Okay. Yeah. All right, all right. Well, Lampard never, never uh, managed in the Norwegian league, though. You, you can't forget that. He managed Cardiff City as well. Sal Scary did a poor job for them too. <laughs> Haven't forgiven you for that, Ollie. For ruining, ruining the South Wales city. That that That's is right. true. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Question number three. We're going to keep it in Manchester. Adam, who is the best player currently playing football in Manchester? Oh, Bruno Fernandez. Without a shadow of a doubt. Okay. Okay. Didn't even need to think about it. Above De Bruyne. Above De Bruyne this season. Yeah, absolutely. Not last season, but this season, absolutely. So if you if you were making your own team and you had to pick one, you could you could take one of those two. Who would you take? 
I do pick my own team. I pick fantasy football, and Bruno Fernandez is starting a captain, and De Bruyne is not. Wow, my team. that's 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 everything. That's all that's I can't, really matters. I afford De Bruyne and Fernandez in my fantasy football team, but that just goes to show that that's that's where I put my stock. Interesting. Okay. Um, all right. Question number four: We agree that Gabriel Jesus shouldn't be playing for Manchester City. <laughs> what team should Gabriel Jesus be playing for? Uh, are we saying like where would he fit the best? Are we saying what's his level? What are you trying to get at? I, I, yeah, I, I'm more saying what's his level because again, he is not a striker who be who should be playing for Manchester City. He's not. He's not good enough. So, so what is his level? Yeah, not really the not really the, like the schematic or or structural fit, but but more kind of where where do you think he is comfortably? You know, should be the starting striker for for that team. I can see him doing a job at an Everton or somewhere like that. Um, Everton is Everton is always the safest, <laughs> the safest answer. <laughs> I just think you know when you when you look at that team, like he he could come in and he wouldn't be expected to start every week, um, but he could come in and do a job for them when he comes in off the bench. Um, and I think that that's kind of his level is not top level European football, but certainly playing European football. And I think that that's okay. kind of where Everton will be for the next few years. Okay, I like that. Everton are like a a Spurs like a Spurs backup was some other thought that I had, but like. Like what you would never want him to take over for Harry Kane, who's you know one of the best strikers in Premier League history. Never mind Harry Kane; it's all about the Welsh Mafia at Spurs right now, as you know. That is true. Yeah, GB Nine had a great weekend, although Kane had, Kane had a slightly better weekend actually. But... Just getting prepped for the Belgium game—that's what's happening, yeah. Zach. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, all right. Um, question number five, then. I'm trying to think of how to word this. Do you think that Gareth Bale will stay in the Premier League next year? That's a really good question. Um, I think he will. I don't know that it will be at Spurs, but I think he's enjoyed it enough after coming home to want to probably try and come back and finish his career there. Where he goes, I have no idea. Um is that, I, I think that's a more interesting point is like, A, can Spurs afford him? Talk about a player on huge wages. Garrett he'd have, Bale to, he'd is, have to take a pay cut, right? He would have to take a pay cut. Would he be willing to do that for, you know, his, his not, not his childhood club, because that would be Southampton, but the club that really made him what he is today. Um, and then if not, you know, you, you can't really, you can't really see him playing for Arsenal. Where, like, where, where else would he fit would be an interesting question. Mm-hmm. Yeah, same, I, same I reason like you it, probably wouldn't see with Chelsea either. And he, nor would Chelsea need him. They're, they're much younger. Yeah, well, exactly. It's like, in a way, it's like, is it Spurs or nothing? Looking at the Premier League, I mean, maybe. Maybe. Like a Leicester, Leicester perhaps? Leicester, that was kind of the only other place I was thinking. Yeah. Oh, Fair that'd enough. be two, two, him, him and Vardy on one team, just two, <laughs> two absolute shit houses. <laughs> <laughs> that would actually be good seeing the two of them play together. And the, the key for him is just staying fit, as it's always sure. been, you know. But you know, this <laughs> I, I read a statistic over the weekend that it was something like in 341 minutes of football, Gareth Bale has scored six goals and has had three assists in in that time. And people thought he was finished a couple months ago. How wrong they were. 
He's just getting ready for the Euro, Zach. Wales, well, I, well, golf, Spurs. That's Wales, golf, Spurs, golf, football, golf, Real Madrid. Uh, but I think what an interesting question with Bale is, and I, you, you kind of saw this on the weekend, is it seems as though he's not you know, the pacey winger that he once was. I think that that's kind of obvious. And in, in this match on the weekend where Spurs came out victorious 4-1 over Palace, he did drift centrally a lot. And he was, you know, both both of his goals came from him kind of taking the ball and, and well, actually the second goal more so, but like switching play and, and kind of drifting mm-hmm. into the box. So you, you are seeing truly him playing, maybe not in the, quote unquote traditional number nine because that still is largely occupied by Harry Kane on that team but he is kind of playing as this off the shoulder of the striker which is really a play a place that Gareth Bale hasn't hasn't played since he was at Spurs back in mm-hmm. like 2012 or so yeah both the goals came in the six yard box so like he's up there and one was with his head one was with his feet credit to Harry Kane dude like th- that guy is a machine he's, he's so he's so good um, he'd start in any any team in the Premier League. Harry Kane. Oh yeah, I mean, Harry, two goals, two assists. Harry Kane is becoming the complete player, like yeah. the complete player. Uh, I saw that him and Son, because his Harry Kane's uh, second goal in that match was assisted by Son, and they have now broke the record for most uh, goals uh, that one of them assisted and the other one scored in Premier League history. So most goals scored by a duo. Um, in which the other of the duo was assisting that goal with 14 now, which is a very specific stat, but um, speaks to how good of a, a distrib- distributor Harry Kane has become. Yep. Yeah. Harry Kane and Hyungmin Son are both in the top five goal scorers and assisters in the Premier League this season. Yeah. It's phenomenal. They're, yeah. they're I mean, yeah, they're, they're both phenomenal players and really what makes Spurs tick at the moment. But okay, that was a, that was a five in, a million instead of 190. <laughs> so why don't we go over to your section so we can close this out? You got me talking about Gareth Bale. What can I say? That's All right. Um, big news over the weekend. And the theme of my 10 and 90, Zach, was that Rangers stopped Celtic from winning their 10th in a row. Steven Gerrard with his first major trophy um, as a manager uh, in winning the Scottish Premier League with Rangers. So in honor of that, I'm doing a 10 and 90 for you all about Rangers football clubs. Zach. This is going to be, this is going to be fun. I'm going to go. Oh, and five, like a, <laughs> like a little leaguer in major league baseball. <laughs> all right. We'll start off with a nice, easy one. There have been 125 seasons of Scottish Premier League football. How many of those titles have Rangers won? I'll give you five either way. 125, 125 seasons. Yeah. How many have Rangers won? Let's go with 57. Oh, 55. Well nice. done, sir. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, wow. Good, good, good start. So Rangers have won 55. Celtic have won 51. So Celtic were narrowing that gap until Neil Lennon came along and blew it for them. Um, so now 55 to 51. Said another way, 106 of the 125 <laughs> seasons of Scottish Premier League football have been won by Glasgow clubs. How do you support that? How do you support a team in that league? <laughs> that's pretty. It's pretty crazy. So yeah, nine, 19 seasons where there were winners that were not called Rangers or Celtic. Who was the manager when Rangers won their last Scottish Premier League championship in 2010, 2011? Uh, 
Was it? Was it Brendan Rodgers? It was not. It was Walter Smith. Never heard of Walter Smith. And then oh, did Rodgers come, come right after him? Uh, no. Rodgers was at Celtic, not at Rangers. Rodgers was at Celtic. Okay, mm-hmm. I knew he was at one yeah. of those two clubs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Walter. Yeah, Walter Smith. Who's that? Uh, Walter Smith is a very famous Scottish footballer, played for Rangers and the Scottish national team, and then went on to manage them, obviously, to their last Scottish Premier League championship. There you go. That's something I now know. There you go. Gus will be proud of you that you know that fact now as well. All (laughs) right, question question number three. What is Rangers' record win percentage for a single season in the Scottish Premier League? Or in the top division, I should say. Is it a trick question? Did they they win every match? Is it 100%? (laughs) It's 100%. In the 1898... 1899 season they won every single game um i actually don't have this stat in here but i thought it was a really intriguing one they are the only team in the world to win all four major of all four leagues in football as a club so they've won the scottish premier league first division second division and third division and the only reason that that happened to them is because they went into administration and had to start the bottom league of scottish football yeah, that was like six years ago, right? Uh-huh. Actually, 2013, leading me beautifully into my fourth question. Rangers hold the record for fourth-tier attendance in the Scottish Premier League in 2013 in a home match at Ibrox against Berwick Rangers. How many fans were in attendance? I'll give you 2,000 either way. I mean, I have no idea what the capacity for, for Ibrox is, but... Um, 28,000? 50,048 wow. in the fourth wow. tier of Scottish football. Um, so their total capacity in their stadium is 50,817. So they were less than 800 from capacity. That's wild. In the fourth tier of their domestic league, they had 50,000 people. Crazy. Crazy. All right. Question number five Is Steven Gerrard the only non Scottish manager to win a Scottish Premier League title for Rangers? Oh man. I, I, yeah. Is he? Is he the yeah, I guess so. <laughs> the answer is no. Dick Advoca won two titles oh. in 9899 um and 99-2000. Dutch manager Dick Advoca. Yeah, weirdly enough I've heard of him. That's mm-hmm. bizarre that <laughs> Okay. Right. Yep. I did better there than I thought I would do. So that's, You did. That's How many solid. did you get there? Did you get you got percent You got two. No, not too bad at all. Good job. Mm-hmm. All right. Finally for you, Zach, pronounce this Walsh word. T R Y C H I N E B. T R Y C H I N E B. T R Y C H I N E B. Trachenb. It's Trachenb. Okay. All right. That, that makes sense. Trachenb means catastrophic, as in Newcastle's <laughs> performances of late have been catastrophic. Trachenb. Trachenb. It's been pretty Trachenb. I'd like to thank my mom for that one. She sent it to me when I was struggling to come up with Welsh words earlier today. So thanks, mom. There you go. I like that. Yep. Nice. yep. All right. Final clue here, Adam. Trivia question. I don't think I'm going to get it today, but let's let's see. 
All right, I got a pretty good final clue for you. So um, reminder, our question, only one Premier League striker scored five goals in a single Premier League half of play. First clue midway through the pod was this game ended in a 9-1 victory for the goal scorers team and occurred in November 2009. Final clue for you, Zach. This player's former clubs include, not all of them, but include West Ham, Portsmouth, and Sunderland. This player is an ex mackham None of those teams did he score the five goals in the first half or in the half of football for. And he is not retired yet. He's actually currently still playing football for Rangers in the Scottish Premier League. Oh my. And just picked up a Scottish Premier League winner's medal. What a what an incredible tie-in you you made there. So he played for what were the three teams? Portsmouth, West Ham, West Ham. Ports, Portsmouth, and Sunderland. And none of those teams are the team that he scored the five goals for. Because I was thinking, I was thinking actually, the, did Portsmouth beat Man City like nine one or something back then? No, they didn't. Okay, all right, fine. Um, you want me to give you the the teams from the nine one game? Yeah, as a, as a final clue, and then I, then I got to cut you off. Okay, Spurs beat Wigan nine one in two thousand nine. Played for Spurs and he now plays for Rangers. He played for Portsmouth and he played for West Ham. Our listeners are screaming at you right now. I can hear them. He played for Sunderland and his name is Jermaine Defoe. <laughs> I got it. <laughs> would you? Would you have got it? Would you got it without the Spurs clue? No. No. I, I would one. not have got it without the Spurs yeah. clue. The Spurs clue. Yeah, I. The Spurs clearly definitely, definitely gave it to me. Um, and yeah, yeah. I, I have I, I, enough of a knowledge of, of players in the last 15 years that I was able to put that one together. Yeah. One of the one of the few ex Sunderland players that I don't hate, and largely for the good charity work he did with the the young boy that that passed away, um, who was always very present with on social media, bringing him to the games. Um, great, great advertisement for football all around there from Jermaine Defoe. I think he's a, a top class professional and great human being. Yeah. Yeah. I really, I really like Jermaine Defoe quite a lot as well. Um, despite the fact that he played for Sunderland, but not everybody can play for Newcastle, a team that is spiraling out of control into the championship. <laughs> True that. There are players that have played for Sunderland, uh, for Newcastle and not Sunderland that I dislike a lot more than Jermaine Defoe. Ooh, who would that be? Right off the top of my head. Yeah. Just Michael Owen. Michael Owen. I had a feeling you were going to say Michael Owen. Suzuko, maybe? Yeah, Suzuko, Suzuko. I can't stand either. I don't I yeah. didn't mind Wijnaldum as much. I didn't oh, love I, oh, I the... Wijnaldum was fine. Wijnaldum was just a lot better than Newcastle. <laughs> Wijnaldum was in the same situation. Like, Wijnaldum that year, if Newcastle gets relegated this year, then St. Maximin and Wijnaldum will go in the same conversation. Like, pl- players that clearly should not be getting relegated. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see if um, if Miggy would stay if we got relegated. He might be the only so. one, but I, I think he's I really, too, he's too oh, good. To play. I, I I think he's too good, and he's also like with all those rumors that happened in January. I think like he would get out I, for sure. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think he would actually maybe be like him, him or Saint Maximum would be the first to go, in my opinion. But we'll see. Hopefully, it doesn't come to that. But I don't know. I hope it probably I hope will. Not. But yeah, whatever. Um, good podcast though today, Adam. A uh, couple matches you're looking forward to on the weekend. We can close this out quickly. Anything that, that really pops out to you? 
Yeah, North London Derby on Sunday. Arsenal against Spurs. Spurs in fantastic form. Arsenal, a couple of blips on the radar recently, but still doing pretty good. Um, great game to watch as a neutral. Bale obviously is going to score a hat-trick. I'm going 3-0 Spurs. Love that. I love that. Uh, Man United West Ham is the other one that's really popping out to me. West Ham getting another win today over Leeds to, to stay in that Champions League hunt. West Ham in, in fifth now. Um, just behind Chelsea, who also got that win. But this will be a big test because Moyes going up against, you know, the, the club that kind of soiled his name. And can can they do it? Are, are they legit? I guess, uh, will Jesse Lingard not play in this one, won't he? Because he's on loan for Manchester United. That's mm-hmm. actually huge. That's mm-hmm. massive. Um, yep. Missed a yeah. penalty today, but got lucky on the rebound as well, Jesse Lingard. I saw that, yeah. But it, mm-hmm. that'll be an interesting one. Yep, West Ham also, who are five points above Liverpool in the Premier League and have a game in hand on them. So, yeah, that's crazy. Wild. Crazy to think about. Uh, another game I noted, note, noted down here, Zach, was obviously for Newcastle reasons. Fulham against Man City. Fulham in flying form, just beat Liverpool at Anfield. City reeling after their Manchester Derby loss. Who's who's your money on for that one? Reeling is a, is a big word to, to use for a team that's picked up. 21 out of 22 games but i think city will will dispatch them comfortably in this one all right sounds good well, my final game that i picked was actually newcastle villa I, purely because i think it's just a crucial game for us we have to get something from it we really need to get three points from it um and it's happening prior to the weekend's games this time so we're um we're really gonna basically set our stall out on friday and then we're going to be watching with curiosity what happens for the rest of the weekend yeah, we'll have to see. It'll be a nail better for sure with a lot of those matches directly. Let's hope Grealish is not back for that one. Correct. Yeah, he will absolutely tear us apart. Um, all right. Well, as always, Adam, a nice time. It was good having some arguments with you today. We we should argue about more stuff. That's that's what's missing from this podcast. That's true. Yeah, I'll, I'll find ways to argue with you, Zach. I, I can count mm-hmm. on it. We can talk about who has a brighter future, the U.S. men's national team or Wales. I mean, we'll clearly the answer there is Wales. And we're so about to, be- we're about to dispatch Belgium, Zach. So begins the first topic for our, our summer break podcast. <laughs> we'll have to remember to write that one down. Yep, that'll be good. Actually, look, really looking forward to it. Hoping to get a couple special guests on towards the Euros time. Got a few people earmarked, including um, a fellow Welshman who um, actually does a podcast for the Wales national team. Hoping to get um, somebody on the podcast. So stay tuned for more on that as we get closer. Ooh. That'd be fun. Cool. All right. We'll close it out today. See you in a couple of weeks. Footy. Tell them what's up, Adam. Footy. Peace out.